Hi everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Chit Chat. My name is Kishore Chandra, and uh, myself and Jai Jagannath Prabhu, we come on here every evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and we come and we speak about spiritual topics. Every day now going, I think we're like on 137 is going to be this episode. So we've been going for a while, um, but it's been really nourishing and wonderful, this chit-chat. Welcome Mani Blue Skies, welcome Anand, Hare Bol, welcome Nishkish, I like that name, Hare Krishna, welcome everyone, Hare Bol Pibi Chat. So we'll get started in just a moment, we'll uh, wait for Jai Jagannath Prabhu to sign on and we shall get started. Welcome Kavi, Hare Bol, and Jai Jagannath is here. I can't hear you. Oh, it's these. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. They're, they don't work sometimes, so we'll just do it like this. No, we okay. don't. <laughs> How goes? Uh, it's a Kadashi today. So. Akadashi isn't my, um, I don't perform well on Akadashi. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking to a friend, I'm about to out myself, I was talking to a friend this morning and he's in Brazil and he was like, is, is it Akadashi over there? And I was like, is it? <laughs> wow. I was like, I have no idea. And I was telling him, I was like, I was feeling so good because last Akadashi, I was like on point, cooking myself on my Akadashi meals. And apparently I forgot. So sorry, everyone. Sorry, wow. Krishna. <laughs> now I understand that meme you shared about Akadashi. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so we were talking about this sacrifice idea yesterday. Yes, we were. And a lot of, I, personally, I felt a lot of nice you know, topics and angles came up. And Money Boost guy's asking, why is Akadashi so tough? Okay, sidebar. There's a reason for this, actually. Yes. Uh, apparently, on the Akadashi, it, it has something to do with the moon, and I can't explain it properly, so I'm not going to try. But apparently, when on the Akadashi days, the desire for sense gratification is augmented. Mm -hmm. Something to do with the, the, the movement of the moon and so on. And so naturally, at least I've definitely observed that personally, and we're just going to leave it at that. But the desire, like the sen desire for sensual gratification is augmented apparently on the day of Akadashi. Um, and so it is also true for Krishna. And so that's why the devotees increase their bhajan on the Akadashi day to give pleasure to Krishna. I'm in the middle of a deep point and you're like giggling. <laughs> Sorry, Sanji Rani Rana wrote something really funny. Is that why we always want to eat bread on Akadashi? <laughs> <laughs> that, that may have something to do with it. In any case, the, I guess the idea is that on the Kadashi day, Krishna's desire for sensual pleasure is also augmented. 
And so the devotees of Krishna, they increased their worship of Krishna that day to give him more pleasure because his desire for sensual, you know, of course, spiritual sensual enjoyment is increased. Um, so it's called as the day of Hari, Hari Vatsara. It's like a day for moving closer to Krishna. Mm. Um, because the devotees will augment their worship on these particular days to bring Krishna pleasure because the sensual increases there. And I guess the idea is that if you don't do that, then as we have experienced just on a general basis, the senses can destroy you. And they will. I, when my friend was messaging me about reminding me that it was a Kadashi, I was lounging at the pool <laughs> being a materialist, just like, ah, you know, I just want to do whatever I want today like this. So definitely the, the, the desire to uh, enjoy the senses, definitely. I felt that today, like immediately. And it, now it's all making sense. But my friend told me and I felt so <laughs> terrible. I felt so terrible at the pool that I was like, let me chant more rounds. Like I already finished my 16 and I was like, let, let, me, let me chant more. And I'm going to go to Kirtan tonight. Okay, I'm absolving myself. Wow. Please. So you're... <laughs> Sani on the strength of chanting. Oh my God, stop it. I, I didn't know it was Kashi. So, yeah, anyway, so that's that particular topic. But it's actually a really interesting segue because, you know, we've been talking about sacrifice and we've been talking about the things that we give up in order, like in order to, to reach a certain goal or to reach a certain potential. And I mean, like, on those days, like, you know, we were speaking, like, in Janmastami, or, like, on these days where you really decide, like, you make a vow, I'm going to give this up, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to watch the Netflix, I'm going to do the thing, I'm going to try to increase the number of rounds that I chant, or whatever it might be, it's a very personal thing. On those days, you feel really, like, supercharged with, you know, with bhakti, you feel supercharged with Krishna consciousness, and it's something that's you know, it actually feels really, really good. And so I think that the idea, you know, like we were mentioning yesterday, the word sacrifice or the word holy can be like very triggering for people in the secular world. However, you know, um, in that verse in Bhagavad Gita that, you know, uh, happiness in the, mode of, in the mode of passion, at the beginning it, uh, at the beginning it, uh, well, how does it go Jaya? Which one? In the seventeenth chapter, like happiness in the mode of chapter in the mode of goodness and happiness in the mode of passion. Yes, yeah, so chapter eighteen and chapter uh, how does it hap go? happiness in the mode of goodness is based on practice and it is experienced as poison in the beginning and nectar in yes. the end. Yes. Uh, yes. The reverse is true for uh, happiness and passion. It's based on yes. senses contacting objects, and it's nectar in the beginning, poison. Man. Yes. So my point being that the sacrifice is not going to feel necessarily, um, you know, very blissful at the beginning. It might not seem like nectarian-like at the beginning yes. um, because it's in the mode of goodness. But eventually, you know, we, you brought up this word shreyas, the ultimate good. Eventually, it will bring us closer to Krishna. Eventually, we will feel amazing afterwards. However, you know, many of us, myself included, are caught in the mode of passion a lot of the times. And so if it doesn't feel good, like if the 
if the sacrifice that I'm doing or if the effort that I'm doing doesn't like feel good right directly in the moment or if I'm not getting an immediate um, response or an immediate kind of gratification, then it's very easy to just say, puff, you know, I'm not going to yeah. do this. You're speaking, what you're speaking now is kind of addressing the sort of negative response that kind of gets triggered when we hear the word like sacrifice or holy or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't like to hear stuff. We don't like to hear the idea of self-abnegation of any kind is somehow abhorrent to us. Um, unless we can connect it to our direct gain and gratification, then it's not so abhorrent. But if that connection can't be made, then how, why would I deny myself you know, any sort of pleasure as long as I'm not harming anyone, then why would I deny myself any sort of pleasure and we find it abhorrent? For bhaktas, just, this is a sidebar, just connected to the Akadashi topic. Um, the, com the most common explanation of the word vrata or tapas that comes when describing devotee. Now, the word vrata means vow, or the word tapas means like austerity. We're, we're instructed to do divine austerity for the purpose of purifying our being and moving towards the attainment of unending spiritual bliss. So the most, at least in the commentaries that I've read from the spiritual perceptors in Bhakti line, the most common vrata and tapas to come up is akadashi. Like whenever they're commenting about how devotees do austerities, they're, they always just mention Akadashi. So I was listening to you in your last little thing, but I wasn't looking at you because I was trying to look up. A I know, I, I noticed. Yeah, um, I was paying attention, I promise, <laughs> kind of. Um, anyway, this verse is coming where Chris, in chapter 9, and Krishna's kind of described himself, and then for the rest of the chapter, he describes how different persons kind of conceive of his form. So the atheists don't believe it and the result of that disbelief. And then he talks about the devotees and how they kind of relate to the form. Of course, they're always meditating on it. And then in verse 14, this, I just wanted to pull this up. Satatam um, So they worship me at all times. So Satatam Kirtanyantoma, they're always doing my kirtan. Yatantash means they are always making endeavor with me, for me. Dridavrataha, uh, with strong vows or firm vows. Dridavrata means like with firm vows. So I'm just looking at one of the commentators' commentaries on this. He, and describing, can I read it just real quick? Let's yeah, yeah. Um, just as poor householders strive for money at the door of a wealthy man in order to support their families, my devotees seek out the assembly of devotees in order to obtain devotional processes like chanting. And this is him describing the word yatantash, which means like to endeavor, which I just wanted to read that because it's just a really cool comment. Just as a poor person goes to a wealthy person, can you help me? So the devotees, they will go to other devotees to seek out the processes of chanting. Mm. Just like you're about to go to that, you're about to go to Kirtan because you ain't been doing a lot of it by yourself. So you need a little help. And that's true for all of us. Like when I came here to North Carolina, it was a breath of fresh air to be with deities and doing kirtan in front of them and so on. Anyway, the, the part. He, then he says this. 
They have strict rules for themselves. <laughs> We're just gonna um, hold our hands down on that one. Um, well, I don't even want to look at it. I feel attacked. They have strict <laughs> rules for themselves. Dridavrataha, thinking, <laughs> thinking. I must do this number of rounds of chanting. This many obeisance, this much service. Oh, I, where's the, oh, the Akadashi Vrata didn't come up in here. I was pretty sure the Akadashi Vrata, I should have read it before. Anyway, anyway, I called it. It's still good. Out. It's still good, yeah. Anyway, usually this comment is coming, they follow the, the, um, the Akadashi Vrata. That's a very important Vrata for devotees to be serious about. They think I must, I must do this number of rounds. Um, I must do a round. Uh, this many obeisance, this much service. Anyway. Um, so that's, of course, so that's speaking to the sort of the, the, the negative trigger that the word sacrifice tends to invoke. But yesterday we also spoke about sacrifice in terms of offering. Yeah. That you have to give back because you are taking. Every one of us are taking something. Just by living, we take so much from others. And so you have to give back in order to make the relationship holy. Mm. Because if you take without giving back, the relationship is unholy. And it leads to the degradation of all parties. And so... In order to stop that degradation, there has to be a giving back. And that is the, the intended meaning of the word yagya, which is generally translated as sacrifice um, in the sacred text. So in that context, we wanted to talk, well, today we wanted to bring up, because we didn't bring it up in detail yesterday, that who is the proper object of offering? Because we brought up something that happens in the material consciousness, which is what most of us are afflicted with as conditioned souls. That even when we make offerings to others in order to keep the relationship as we were describing it, like whole or holy, the offering is never really to the object of offering, but is rather for our own self. And of course, because we kind of consider ourself as material bodies in our present state of consciousness, that means that our whole inspiration for offering is for the service of the material body, which is not a proper object of offering. And therefore, in the material world, even if you somehow manage to maintain your duty of making the proper offerings to the various material deities, whether it's our government or whoever it may be in the material world, because the offering is ultimately for the material body, the happiness of the material body, it is not ultimately a spiritually holy um, relationship and therefore it's dissatisfying. So we wanted to look at, well, who is the proper object of offering mm. in, in Bhakti tradition? Of course we know it's Krishna, but we wanted, you know, we wanted to build it up a little bit. And I remember, so this is a really interesting topic and then Nishkish also asked a really interesting question, which could be off topic, but I can think of ways of bringing it into this topic. Um, because when it comes to who is the, who is the you know, correct object of our love, obviously you know, the answer for us is, is Krishna. 
And so Nishkish is asking this question of like, what's our take on bhakti based on love for God versus bhakti based on fear of God? Bhakti meaning devotion, normally devoted to the one that you love. And then this is where I feel like it's related to what we're talking about, where he says, but when there are all these restrictions or rules or yagyas or offerings or sacrifices or whatever, you tend to be doing things out of fear. And, you know, I feel like that's a very, I feel like that's a very personal thing. Like if, if you're doing it out of fear, like, I don't know, you know, that's, it's, it's not going to be sustainable, you know? Because we've, at least, we've talked about it here on Chip Chat. Well, it can be, it can be sustainable. Maybe not over centuries, but. Not over centuries. Fear-based religion has been having a long lifespan from. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. However, we're not going to get into that. But I'm just speaking about in terms of bhakti. I just wanted to give kind of this um, this understanding about the rules and regulations. We've brought this up on Chit Chat before, where I feel like a lot of people have like a very averse reaction to rules and regulations, or even the word sacrifice or holy, like we experienced yesterday in Chit Chat. People were like, oh, or the day before. And, you know, when you really do start practicing these rules and regulations, when you really do start coming into uh, the realm of like a practicing sadhaka, you start to go away from the material world, you start to lose taste for those kinds of things, you truly realize, I have truly realized, that those are there for my protection. Yes. And they are there for my protection, you know, in, this, in my spiritual endeavors. And, yes. so, and so the fear doesn't become a fear of Krishna. It becomes a fear of the material world, actually. It becomes, I, I know that this is bad for me, yet I'm still, you know, wildly attracted to it. I'm still wildly, like, going after, the, you know, the cookies, right? The cookies, the things, even though I know it's bad for me. So rather, the rules and regulations are there to protect me. And, you know, I remember yesterday you had mentioned, I was reading these verses you had mentioned yesterday at the end of Chit Chat in um, second beginning of the second chapter of the second canto of the Bhagavatam. And I thought it, it was just really nice. Maybe we could go through, through some of them because I think that when it comes to material objects, when it comes to material things, people, right, cookies, as we say here on Chit Chat, it's like, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in that like unrealistic reality or irrealistic reality. You know, it's really easy to just be like, I want more and I want more. And I want more. And I'm in, you know, I have this thing. I want more. I'm in this relationship. I want more. And it's really easy to get caught up in that. And so maybe we could read these verses. Yeah, I want to comment on that before we yeah. get into that. Well, yeah. respond or whatever to what you just said. Yeah, I, you know, there can be fear without it being a, there can be fear without it being a, a sort of um, enduring contemplation in your mind. For example, when you're on the train station or some, at some trains, and it may say, you know, 10,000 volts, you know, and it has an image of someone touching and, like, getting electrocuted and dying. So you see it and you know, yeah, I'm not going to touch that. But it's not like, and why, why won't you touch it? Well, because there's fear that if I touch that, I can get electrocuted. But it's not a fear that, like, arrests the mind and causes you to meditate on it constantly it's, as you say it's a protection and so it doesn't really take up that much of the psyche um i think because a lot of us the sort of history we've been fed a religion which is probably most likely a true uh, history is that a lot of, well because most of us grew up 
hearing like about the Middle Eastern traditions, mm. and they don't play. <laughs> and frankly speaking, the Middle Eastern traditions, you know, to their defense, well, I'm not really into them, but to their defense, they resemble the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, which is a lot of fear-based um, statements made to oblige the jivas to comply. Because basically, if you're a conditioned soul, you're in it for yourself. And that, what that means is you establish a relationship with the environment in terms of exploitation. Whether it's a tiny bit of exploitation or it's a, a lot of exploitation depends on how much power you have. If you have less power, you usually tend to do a little less exploitation. If you have more power, you tend to do a little bit more. But the relationship is in terms of exploitation. We should not be confused about that. And you see it play out in like the dating, the dating realm and all this. It's just they people establish relationships based on exploitation. So you have like materialistic jivas. They're not really into the spiritual thing. They're not into God, you know, as the primary thing of their life. So then it's like, okay, you want to exploit, but you got to play according to these rules. Otherwise, you will be punished severely. And so it is a, it, there is a lot of fear-based um, statements to kind of oblige the exploiting jivas to comply. Because the basic problem is when we go for exploitation, we tend to cross lines. You know, at first it's like you just like put your toe over the line a little bit, put your toe over. Y'all, y'all ain't seeing my leg, but you know, you like kind of put your toe over. Oh, okay, that wasn't so. That wasn't so bad. Then you like put the whole foot over. You like, oh, <laughs> nothing happened. Then you like do one of those like jump over the line and jump back. And you like, okay, nothing happened. Then you walk over and wait. Oh, nothing happened. And in that way, you keep crossing more and more lines. And, and to the point of where we're just literally consuming one another for mm. our own pleasure. So scriptures have these strong statements. You know, these scriptures that are aimed at materialistic souls, they have these strong statements that, yo, if you cross that line, we'll whoop your ass. <laughs> and that's very useful. Of course, as a motivating factor for following, as you say, it's not sustainable. Particularly when people become more and more divorced from, you know, the, 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 the force behind those rules. Like people disbelieve in God. They disbelieve in karma. They disbelieve in a, a personal force behind nature. And so they tend to think like, oh, okay, I can do whatever I want. But in the old culture, they didn't really believe that. They did believe in like a personal God, whether they were interested in a relationship with them personally was another thing. They believed in like a personal force behind nature. So you couldn't just call science because there would be punishment. Um, and so, again, that's not a, sus a sustaining sort of motivation. But it is important to have those things in place if you want to have a functioning society. Otherwise, the jiva's tendency for crossing lines and exploiting is so powerful that we'll just end up consuming one another. Mm. Having said that, I would like to also add for bhakti tradition, like a book like Bhagavatam, I mentioned this verse before, Srimad Bhagavatam Purana Amalam, Ya Vaishnavanam Priyam. The reason the Bhagavatam is Vaishnavanam Priyam means it is dear to the devotees of Krishna. It's because it is Amala Purana. It is not filled with all these heavy strictures that you'll find in the materialistic scriptures um, because their focus is just like devotion and devotional offering. 
made because of love and not because of any other motivating factor. Mm. Uh, and that's, that is the charm of the Bhagavatam for devotees of Krishna, that you don't need that sort of, um, you don't need the belt in order to get you to fall in line and do what's right. Rather, the intensity of the love that you have for the proper object of love is so profound that you just spontaneously do what is wholesome for everyone because mm. you're relating to the entity that encapsulates everyone. Mm. And so it's, and the motivation can be purely based on those loving feelings and not for any other motivating factor. Mm. So just, yeah. I'm gonna and that. And thank you for such a wonderful explanation because I think, you know, we've brought this up on Chit Chat before where it's just like, you know, sometimes a little fear goes a long way, you know? Like Absolutely. This, like this, this, whole, this whole thing that you just said, like Amala, uh, Amala uh, Purana. Purana, sorry. The Amala Purana, it's, it's untainted, untouched. It's speaking of love of Krishna like this. You know, we've mentioned this on Chit Chat before where it's just like, that's a very high level, y'all. Where it's like, I'm, I'm just doing it all for Krishna. All my love is for Krishna. Everything is for Krishna. You know, like, let's be real. And, you know, you, you've mentioned many stories about this. But, like, when I was a kid growing up, and so was Jaya. And, like, you know, maybe you relate to this. Maybe you don't. Speak for yourself, please. Maybe you don't. But, like... When I was a kid, you know, like, I grew up in a very traditional Hispanic household, and, like, my mom was didn't very... Mom she didn't play, play those games. She did not play those games. My mom wasn't sitting there being like, oh, my child's going to, like, love me unconditionally no matter what, and, like, this and this. <laughs> and, you know, they're just going to be so sweet and be like, no, like, you know, children are always acting up. And so, you know, the parents, my parents specifically, were, like, instilling a little bit of fear. And I remember specifically when I was a child... I like, of course, I hated it, you know, and I, and I just like wanted to run away from home and this and et cetera. I specifically remember like, I think I ran away from school once. I was just like, I'm leaving, like this is oppressive and like the environment, like, I actually ran away. And boy, when I got home after I ran away from school, you don't even know, like my mom was like, oh, so you want to run away, huh? Okay. And and I can only appreciate that kind of stuff really like as an adult. And you know, because I can really appreciate that my mom, you know, like yesterday we were hanging out with some of my cousins and my and and my uh, and their kids or whatever. And my mom was saying to them, like, yeah, you know, like she was talking about me for some reason and I I zone out sometimes when I'm with my family. Uh And she was talking about me and all of a sudden the conversation they were like, You and I was like, What? I was like, what are you talking about? You. And they were like, my mom was saying something along the lines of like, when we were teenagers, my mom like wouldn't give us money. And that's like 100% true. My mom was like, and my mom was basically telling my cousin to do that to his kids. She was like, yeah, if they wanted to go to the movies, I was like, good for you. Figure it out. Figure it out. Oh, you want to go hang out in the city with your friends and you need a Metro card? Get a job. You know, so it's like, even though my mom had money, like, she put us to work when I was, like, 12 years old. <laughs> Come on. And, like, and there was a healthy fear there because I was, like, I was genuinely, like, afraid of my mom. But also, obviously, like, I love my mother so much. And sometimes that's necessary, you know? When we first come into, you know, when you first come into 
bhakti practices, when you first start taking on the rules and regulations, like there is, I remember like stumbling and fumbling and like thinking I'm doing something wrong or am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to do it like that? Am I supposed to do it like that? And not that anyone was instilling fear in me, but I definitely had like a sense of, of fear. And maybe that came from my like, you know, Judeo-Christian Jehovah's Witness upbringing, but like the sense of fear of like, you know, Krishna's watching me. I should be careful. Like, I, should, I shouldn't just do what I want. And right. I always feel like that fear has gone down. As I've been a devotee, more and more and more and more, that fear has kind of just gone down. Yeah, it's like it's more like Krishna understands. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Krishna knows. Well, it's interesting because, you know, in love, like oftentimes when you hear, well, for me, when I hear people like kind of protest against something like fear-based religion, for example, or spirituality, are being motivated by fear. I, I, I often wonder if they think about the other angle that how love kind of synthesizes or kind of subsumes all these negative emotions, uh, these negative mm -hmm. feelings, but in a sort of wholesome way. Because in love, there's also fear, for sure. Your, your fear of losing the beloved, maybe your fear of letting down the beloved, maybe you're you know, afraid of something happening to them. I mean, there's fear that exists in love also that that is sort of evidence of the love and which can help to augment the love. For example, anyway, I don't want to get too technical here. Oh, it's going to be technical. I'm trying to see how I can simplify this. Okay, so Mother Jasoda's love for Krishna. Okay? Um, so, anyway, the, emo the emotional love of the residents of Brecha for Krishna is called the Staipav. And Staipav means to fix emotional sentiment for the Godhead. And the whole purpose of sadhana bhakti, we're doing sadhana, practice, practice bhakti. The whole purpose of sadhana bhakti is to get staipad. Mm. Uh, because we don't have any fixed emotion for the beloved right now. Our, if we have any emotion for the beloved, that might be good. So we're trying to get do sadhana to get a staipad. And the, the, fixed, the main fixed emotions are as a servant, like a servant serving a master or as a friend, or as a parent, or as a lover. These are the, the four types of Saibhav. Now, the Saibhav is compared to an ocean. So a devotee's love, divine love, is compared to an ocean. So in the ocean, there are many waves, right? So these waves in the ocean are compared to different emotional sentiments that come up in the ocean of the Saibhav. So 33 are specifically pointed out by Rupa Goswami. They're called Yabichari Bhavas. And 33 are pointed out, including pride, fear, envy. And the whole idea of these emotions is that they kind of come up out of the ocean of the devotee's love. They kind of flavor it and then go back into the ocean of the devotee's love. So they come up like a wave give some flavor to the love and then disappear. Mm. And it makes the exchange a relationship very dynamic. That's why it's called the drama of Krishna Leela. Mm. But there's always drama. And what makes things dramatic are all the emotional states. So something like fear is of Yabhichari Bhav. It comes up out of the ocean of, let's say, Mother Jasoda's parental love, flavors her love and then disappears. So, for example, when she sees Christians in a dangerous position, some danger appears to have come to Krishna. And she doesn't know Krishna as 
God head or anything like that. This is my boy. So then the fear comes up like a wave and flavors her parental love and then disappears, helping her, helping to bring her love to very high levels, high levels, basically. Because when the fear is there, your love is really accelerated, kind of augmented because mm. of the particular scene. So anyway, the simple point I'm making is that all these what would be negative feelings and emotions can kind of be subsumed into the, the nature of love and give it a sort of beautiful quality too. Mm. You know, there's fear and love, there's lamentation, normally a horrible quality, but it can also be beautiful. Like how many of us like listening to like sad music? You know, especially when Bay, you know, broke up with me or whatever. You know, you put on some sad music and you relish it. Even though it's like sad, you might even be crying, but you relish, there's something that's blissful about it. Mm. Of course, it's mundane bliss, but such a thing exists harmoniously in the divine realm also. Mm. So we are, of course, we don't promote fear-based religion as a motivating factor. This is not transcendental fearing service, but it's transcendental <laughs> loving service to Krishna. So we don't promote that as a, a motivating factor for doing your bhakti practice. But it can exist harmoniously in bhakti. Mm. And so far as, even as sadhakas, like, you know what? I'm about to go in here and do some real, I'm, I'm tending to do something nasty. But you know what? I know Krishna's watching me, so I'm not going to do that nasty thing. I'm not going to do that crazy thing because, you know, Krishna is there watching or my guru is there. And if he hears about this, it might break his heart. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there that um, these, these negative qualities can also exist in a very beautiful way mm. within bhakti also. Of course, feel, not as a motivating factor, but... Yeah, and I feel like you really hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, even, though, even though it got a little technical, you, you were able to simplify it in such a beautiful way, this... this kind of science of, of bhakti and stai bhava and these kind of like um, constant, constant emotions. And I love that you brought up Mother Yashoda because I was just reading this today um, in the CC, but it, it's, it's uh, from the Bhagavatam, from 10th Canto, Chapter 9, in the yes. Tamadar Lila pastime. And not to get too much into it, but it's like, you know, Krishna is, 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 pretending, you know, acting is, is, he is this child who's exhibiting fear of his mother, right. running after him, sure. trying to tie him to the mortar. And there are these really beautiful verses which basically speak about that, you know, exalted demigods, Shiva, Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, um, Lord Indra, um, that they, not even they are able to attain the mercy that Mother Yashoda has attained. And specifically, there's a verse regarding uh, the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, who's always the better half of the Supreme Lord, and that they, not even her, not even her can receive this mercy that Mother Yashoda attained. And then I really love this verse, that the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna, the son of Mother Yashoda, is accessible to devotees engaged in spontaneous loving service, but he is not as easily accessible to mental speculators to those striving for self-realization by severe austerities and penances, or to those who consider the body the same as the self. Mm. And I feel like this is such an important you know, 
verse and an important point in regards to like w mental speculation. Like, come on, let's be real. Like, we we can go off onto tangents where you know I really appreciated what you posted on Facebook today. Um, I haven't posted in a while. I'm trying to be like you know classy and holy and spiritual. But I, a friend sent that to me. Or to a group I'm a part of, and I was like, okay, I gotta share this. It was really nice, and we don't, we didn't. I feel like that's a whole can of worms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. not let's, let's not open that can of worms. I'm not gonna open that can of worms, but just in regards to like what you know, we live in a world, and we've touched on this topic so much. We live in a world where truth, relative truth, is so obscured from us. You know, if anything, we live in obscurantism. We don't, we truly, we don't know what's going on in this world, and so. Um, Shreel Prabhupada in this, in this uh, you know, uh, thing that you posted was saying, like, what, what is, what's the need for that? Like, you have everything, you know, you have Krishna's direct words, you have Krishna's pastimes, you have Krishna's leela. So this verse is telling us, like, we're not going to get anything from mental speculation. And what we've been speaking about in this chit chat, we're not going to get anything from identifying with our body, you know? Like, it's, we're not going to get that entrance into, into Krishna's pastimes if we're constantly trying to uh, please our senses, you know. I don't know point. Oh, I'm gonna jump on that point. Okay, go for it. Very quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. We can get into Krishna's pastimes. By the way, if y'all don't know, the purpose of Krishna consciousness is to get entry into Krishna's pastimes. Um, we want to take it to the show so we can participate. Um, the way we can do that, and this really connects to the subject that we ended up um, discussing today is you kind of have to study the emotional content of Krishna's people. Yeah. And that way we will come and discover that fear and pride and envy and lamentation. And it's like a pretty enriched emotional realm up there in Krishna's Leela. But we don't really know the context of those emotions because we've only seen their material facsimiles. Mm. And so we don't really know. So therefore, when we hear these things like fear, envy, only the only the material part is triggered in the mind, mm. and we become we find it rather abhorrent. Mm. But if you study Krishna's people and their emotional life and what they feel for Krishna, mm. then you will discover this huge emotional landscape that is um, profound. And in studying, you may even get attracted to a particular landscape and want to go deeper into that. And at a certain point, you may even want to embody such an emotional landscape for Krishna and yourself. And if you're able to do that successfully, then you got the ticket into the, into the drama of Krishna Leela. So that's a little esoteric, but I, and I explained it very simply, but I just want to jump on that point. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a beautiful point. Thank you for clarifying, because I think that I love that word that you used, facsimile. Because I think that so many of us get caught up with the drama and the trauma of the material world. So we're, ex we're experiencing these very perverted uh, reflections of these, of these things. Envy and greed and lust and all of this. We're, we're caught in the vicious cycle of experiencing them in this material world. And so the, the purpose, like you mentioned, is that we're we're supposed to we're supposed to as bhaktas like go into the emotions of of the pastimes of Krishna's leela and you'll see all those emotions there are present but they're on a completely different platform yes. they're on a spiritual platform they're not on the material platform and so 
it's it's really difficult for me to make progress in my bhakti. I'm I'm saying this for myself. If I'm not studying those, if I'm not trying to read about them and learn about them and really start to embody them, why? Because I'm caught in the in the day-to-day trauma drama. That person said this to me. I want that person. Wink, wink. You know. Oh, Listen. If you gotta be if you gotta be caught by drama and trauma, then be caught by the drama and trauma of Krishna Leela. That is our suggestion. Since, since we all like drama, let's be real. We love, we love the drama. You know, we wake up every morning and check our feed. And the first one we zoom in on is the one that's the most dramatic. So since we're all into drama, listen, Box is not going to hate you for that. They're going to say, no problem. You like drama, well, here's some drama for you. Get into this drama. It is eternally blissful. Haribo. That's a good one. That's a good one. Haribo. This is such a beautiful topic. I, I love how today's chit chat also kind of like unfolded. I know, right? It was totally unexpected. Yeah, I didn't know we were going to get into like Mother Yashoda, <laughs> Dhamma and Stai Baba, and all this kind of stuff. These are the um, real topics of Bhakti Yoga in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, the other sort of topics are preparatory because we too much attached to the things that matter. So they have these other topics. But the yes. real topics of Christian consciousness is like, yeah, we want to hear about the Daibas or the bridge bosses and how they love Krishna and how we can embody that love for ourselves. Yes. These are the, the drama of Krishna Lila is where it's at. Yes, it is. Uh, PB chat, thank you. Yeah, it feels good too. I'm feeling, I'm feeling that goodness. Getting the feels, getting the feels. Yeah, getting the feels. I'm getting the feels, and um, thank you all. I think this is a nice, uh, nice point to, to to pause, and we'll continue tomorrow, and maybe we'll see how tomorrow unfolds. We'll see if we talk about Krishna Lila or, or whatever. We'll see. You know, on Chit Chat, we're a little bit candid, and we kind of go with the flow of things. Yes. So thank you all so much for joining um, for tonight's Chit Chat. It was so. I lovely. wasn't. I wasn't chanting, by the way. But wow. I wasn't chanting. I just like that. Sometimes I just like to have my hand in the back because I feel spiritual. Wow. No, it's true. It's true, everyone. I know Judge Jagannath personally. He always has his hand in the back, even though he might not be chanting. But it don't look good. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Rangadevi, Haribol. Thank you, PB Chat, Madhavapuri, Bani Blue Skies, Hare Krishna, everyone, Sham and Mila, Puja, Kavi. Thank you all for tuning in every Madhavapuri. Ida, I saw you were there. Nishkish, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Sanjeev Bandirada, thank you for your fun comments as always, uh, for tuning in. And uh, we'll be here tomorrow at 6 p.m. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Jaya. Thank you, Kishore.